This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you are listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today, my guests are the authors and collaborators of a new cookbook called The Bread and Salt Between Us. The main author is Mayada Anjari. Uh, She's on the line with me. Mayada, hello. Am I saying your name correctly? Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. So just Thank you. Great. Before I introduce the rest of our guests, I'm just going to explain your bio because I think it's important um, to give a little background about you before we talk about the book. So um, Mayada okay. is from Syria. In 2016, she came to the United States. She was in Jordan at the time. Uh, she came over with her husband and her four children under the refugee admissions program of the U.S. government. And now that she's here, she's helping her family build a new life by cooking for hundreds of people who have attended her sold-out dinners with Mayada and friends in New York City. Now her personal recipe collection of easy-to-approach dishes and the story of her journey and the culinary traditions wow, um, that have sustained her are beautifully chronicled in a new publication from Lake Isle Press. The book is... The Bread and Salt Between Us. It's been named one of the best cookbooks coming out this fall. It is now out by Food and Wine. And each person involved with the preparation and publication of the book volunteered their time and talents so that all proceeds will benefit Mayada's family and other refugees and asylum seekers, which is amazing. So Mayada's on the line. The book was written, co-written with uh, Mayada with Jennifer Sitt, who's not here with us, but we do have Dahlia El Nuihi. Um, she's translating for Mayada, if need be. We've got her like on backup <laughs> on the sidelines. And we also have Mira Avnine, who did the food styling. And we have Liz Clayman, who did the photography here in studio. So welcome, everybody. I'm so happy you're all here. Hi, thanks, thanks. for having us. Um, so Mayada, thanks again for joining us on the line. Uh, I, would, I would like to hear, before we start, the title, The Bread and salt between us is, it's just really powerful as far as its imagery goes. Can you explain to me where the title came from? Uh, Okay, Um, sorry. Uh, I need uh, anybody to translate. Sure, that's what I is here for. (laughs) Anyway, Maya. Please, okay. Okay. Uh, 
يعني صار في عشره بيناتنا يعني بيننا وبين هوني مثلا بين الكنيسي بين الناس الامريكا امريكان يعني انه هي معناها انه في عشره بيناتنا يعني فهمتي علي كيف؟ So it's basically symbolic of friendship between uh, the Syrian families and the American and the American population. Okay. Um, so I think Mira or Liz or Mayada, uh, anyone can can speak to this question. How did the idea for the book come about, and what was what was the inspiration to create a cookbook? I'll I'll take that. Okay, I'll, Mira. Because I think I was one of the. The, um, in the domino effect of reaching out to contacts. I was kind of one of the last ones. But um, essentially, Mayada had been cooking at Rutgers Presbyterian, who um, sponsored their their um, transition here. Um, and they had tapped her to cook at the at the church as a, as a way for her to make some money for her family um, using the skills that she had. And... Um, And then I think at some point at the church, it was thought about um, making a cookbook as a way to kind of uh, aggregate her ability to make some more income from her skills. So I think someone at the church uh, reached out to the graphic designer, Allegra, and Allegra knew Liz um, from and from further uh, from days at Third Ward. Yes. <laughs> and then Liz... Um, because most people don't know how cookbooks get made, turned around and said to Rutgers, yes, I'd love to do it, who's making the food? Um, and when they looked at her blankly, because most people, again, don't know how cookbooks actually get made, um, she turned around and said, I've got someone. So and then she tapped me. So that was kind of the, the um, origin story of how the book came to be. But I think it was really interesting because the original idea was just sort of making a collection of the recipes and the more people that came into it it became a much more like serious project it's not like a you know like a kinko's bound pamphlet of like some photos that we shot on the fly i think we shot it over six or seven days and there was uh No, the team was really amazing, and it was it was an awesome experience to. It really is a dream team. I mean, yeah. this is this is a real cookbook that's garnered you know national media attention and is full of like beautiful recipes and photography. So I guess I would ask. I mean, this might be like an obvious question, but I still kind of want to hear it from both of you. Like, what was so compelling and special about this project that you agreed to do it to work on it mm. pro bono? Because that's pretty unusual. It was the easiest yes. Ever, I don't, I don't even think I spent 15 minutes mulling it over. Uh, it was happening at a time, I guess this started probably a year and a half ago. Um, and it was happening at a time of uh, a lot of things were going on in this country that I was feeling pretty uncomfortable with and pretty helpless. And it's like, cool, you can give $100 to like the Red Cross and it goes off and you think you're helping somebody somehow, but it wasn't tangible. Hmm. Uh, and when I got this email uh, from Dave Mammon, who's the amazing uh, director of a director of events at Rutgers Presbyterian um, yeah I, I didn't have to think twice about it I was like this is a, a real person and a real woman who I, I can relate to she has a family she has a husband and she's in Jersey like she's here she's 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 part of our community now like she's a, a tangible person that we could help and uh, it's something you could do yeah it was something I could do yeah. and, and there was also uh, a lot of like freedom creatively Um, I don't think Miata was familiar with cookbooks in general, and right, uh, she wasn't like I'm going to move to America and be a cookbook author. <laughs> no, no, I think it was it was her first time when she came to the U.S. that she actually saw 
a cookbook because cook, uh, cooking is that right, Mayada? I don't know if you if you caught the question. Maybe Dahlia can mm-hmm. if it was the first on time you'd that, heard of a cookbook. Yeah. Yeah. مرة Mayada تشوف في كتاب لوصفات الطبيخ صح ولا كان معنا ولا كان Yeah, she said it was the first time when we sat together and we were we flipped through a cookbook in her house when she was first arrived. So <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. So yeah, there was a lot of creative um, sort of leniency and like I've worked with Mira on a lot of projects before and it was very much um, an art directed, very not stiff, but you know, there, right. there was an you outcome. Get a brief. That, yeah, there was an outcome that we needed to hit, and with this book. Uh, everyone was just like, let's make something as beautiful as we can. And uh, Mira has a background in Israel, and so she had a lot of like sort of idea about the uh, culturally appropriate props and fabrics and, I don't know. I was trying to pull from like all over the world, and she was like, good God, no, put that back. <laughs> like, we, you would never plate vermicelli on a dish like this. And so, it, you know, I learned a lot as well. So it was... Yeah, it was an amazing, uh, amazing way to collaborate with a, a really awesome team, and and getting to have a little bit of a difference in someone's life was yeah. important. Yeah, it was it was an unusual way to make a cookbook. I mean, generally you don't sit with the photographer, with the graphic designer, with the authors, with the publisher, and then Dave and a project manager to to kind of talk at every step. But we we truly did. We. Uh, Naming it, we sat in my living room and we wrote down a bunch of different ideas and came up with some really kind of, uh, you know, titles that started to sound like Under the Tuscan Sun that didn't feel quite right and a little too like, you know, uh, bodice ripper. <laughs> um, and then we finally, you know, arrived at at this title. Um, but it was it was an interesting and because it, we didn't follow kind of like this cookie cutter way of making a cookbook. Um, there, you know, it was smoother in some ways and bumpier in some ways. I was going to say maybe it took some of the pressure off because you didn't do it traditionally, feeling like you had to hit certain deadlines that you were working with. I don't know. No, I mean, I, I think it did. It did take some of the pressure off, but it also creates. There's like a lot more transparency. That, for instance, the photographer at some point would probably just hand over images after getting the brief, and then would kind of be hands off. But we were able to look through the proof and. Uh, you know, call out thing. Liz, I mean, we sat right <laughs> right outside Rutgers Presbyterian in the in the daylight and kind of went through this proof. And Liz was able to flag things that you know she she loved, didn't love, and and make those corrections that ordinarily wouldn't wouldn't happen in a normal cookbook process. Yeah. So, but then I think there was also something where it, it was like a too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> forgive my pun, but uh, you know. Also, like the food stylist and the photographer would never normally have a say in the title of the book. Right. That would be up to Miata and Jen, and and then probably more ultimately the publisher. But yeah. it was yeah, it was a dozen of us sitting around being like, Miata, ah. <laughs> um, is it okay if yeah. I ask you some questions about your background and and your uh, just you know your your journey and the way you came to the United States ultimately? Okay. Um, so I know that you and your husband and your family, you left Syria in 2013 because of the civil war happening in Syria and you rocked across the border to Jordan, um, which is sort of an unfathomable thing to imagine and picture just, you know, taking that 
very brave leap of faith. What what made you take such a huge risk? And then what was sort of what were you thinking about as far as like why you would go to Jordan and what was what were you hoping um, would happen once you crossed the border? So, I guess uh, what were you imagining would would happen once you got to Jordan? What did you hope would happen? Yeah. Yeah. And you can can uh, أنا أولاً مشان الأمان في السوري ما في أمان آخر شيء يعني الوقت المتوسط كان إن فترة ست سبع أشهر ما في أمان أبداً وما في مدرسي وما في مدرسي لأولادي إنه غير مديني ثاني وصعب جداً إن وصلوا لمديني ثاني لأنه ما في أمان so the security was a very big issue and um, there wasn't in her in her neighborhood, there wasn't any closed schools. So they had to send the kids off to schools that were far away and the security situation was extremely bad. So that's one of the reasons why they decided to make the move to Jordan. Okay. So security. Right, and um, her husband couldn't find a proper job. There wasn't no jobs available at the time. So they, they did it out of livelihood and out of security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, um, and then what was what was the reality like once you and your family arrived in Jordan? فما وصلت الأردن يا ميدا إيش إيه إيه كان الواقع بتاعك؟ وقت وصلت الأردن دخلونا على مخيم بتعتري من ليلة يوم وثاني يوم أنا في عندي هنيك قريبين ابن عمي هو بصير أخذ أخذ أردني يعني كفلونا وطلعنا على المدينة. So they came and they um, processed them into a refugee camp in Jordan. And then I believe that they... Mayeda, you said a cousin, right? Ibn um, Ammik? Ibn Oh, And her cousin, um, basically, who lived in Jordan, came and picked them up and, they, and he took them to live with them. So they didn't stay too long in the refugee camp before family members came and took them out. Mm-hmm. And then how did you end up coming to the United States? جيتي أمريكا زي ما يد. جيتي جيت أمريكا. أمم. يعني جيتي زي يعني إيه الكان. الأمم الأمم المتحدة اتصلوا هني قالوا خبرونا إنه بتحبوا تسافروا أمريكا إنهم. So the United Nations had um, basically they processed paperwork and then the United Nations contacted them and said would you like to go to the United States. Mm-hmm. So, and then that started the whole process of them going through the the refugee process. Was it was it was it an immediate yes? I mean, did you ever question whether or not you wanted to do that, or did you just decide? You know, you knew right away that you wanted to to make that transition. For him, team Ayala. يعني كنتي عايزه تروحي ولا كنتي على طول عايزه تروحي يعني وافقتي على طول؟ 
لا عادي كنت عايزه اروح طبعا يعني ما هو هم سالونا واحنا قلنا لهم ايه انه احنا بنتمنى يعني نسافر على مالطا So she said, no, of course, we wanted to come. It was a dream for them. Once they found out that, you know, it was America, they said, absolutely, we would, there's nothing better we could hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rutgers Presbyterian Church is the organization that sponsored your re- resettlement. And uh, I read that when you arrived in the United States, they provided um, what's called a culturally appropriate meal, which is like an interesting policy that's mandated by the State Department, uh, which is something that I had never heard of before. And I think that's... That's one policy that I like that we have. Um, so what was it like to arrive in the United States and then be greeted with a meal that was familiar to you? And it's also so interesting to read that the woman who made you the meal, who was a member of the church, had never cooked Syrian food before. So what did that feel like to come here and then taste something that felt like home? So Maeda, the question is, when I got to New Jersey, I found food that was Syrian food. What did you feel like? Especially when you know that the city that you were in was not actually Syrian. Yes, So she said it was really amazing to see how much attention they've paid to every detail. It, was, it wasn't just necessarily the food, it was everything. I mean, every single detail was provided for, so they were thrilled. She said it was made all the difference. Um, so I know you cooked a lot when you lived in Syria, and I don't know, maybe to a certain extent when you were in Jordan with your family. Um, how- How did you start cooking these dinners uh, that have happened with the church organization that you're involved with? Like, how were you able to sort of reclaim your role as someone who is, is, a, is a cook, is a, you know, not necessarily a chef, but someone who cooks a lot and provides for people? So, Mayela, when you were in Syria, you were in Syria, and you were in Syria, and you were in Syria. ايه اللي حصل بحيث انه الفرصه دي تيجي يعني ان انت تطبخي في في الكنيسه؟ يعني شلون كيف اللي حصل؟ وانت حسيتي ان انت في طبعك ان انت يعني بتحبي الطبيخ يعني وحسيتي ان دي كانت فرصه ان انت اكيد اكيد بحب الطبخ عادي يعني متعودي عليه يعني So she said, uh, basically, the cooking was something that she's used to. So whether it was a big family or a big church, <laughs> a big church gathering, she was used to it, and she just moved right in. That's very yeah. comfortable. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Just hear from our sponsors. Maybe let Mayada know just to hang on for a moment while we hear a commercial, and then we'll be right back. Mayada fi alinet fastani shway, okay? Nice, okay, This program is brought to you by Jewel Suvide. My name is Katie Mosman Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real life Jewel user. I use Jewel to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual dentist guide. Jewel is awesome for prepping many perfect portions making it easy to cook for a crowd 
and it's hands-free so you can focus on entertaining while Jewel does the work. And pro tip, Jewel is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Jewel makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash Jewel and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code HRN. And fall asleep just to wake up. Okay, thanks. Hey, you're listening to Food Without Borders on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and I'm in studio with the team that collaborated to make the beautiful new cookbook, The Bread and Salt Between Us, which is authored by Mayada Anjari, and I have Dahlia el here helping to translate, and Mira Evnine and Liz Kleeman, who did food styling and photography. Um, so welcome back, everyone, and thanks for sticking with us. And we have Mayada on the line still. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, Mayada, when you started yeah. to work on the cookbook, how did you decide what recipes you would include? Uh, so she she chose foods that she cooks often at the house. And then was there, I mean, maybe Mira and Liz can talk about this a little since you were also collaborative. Like, was there a process of elimination that happened? Were there recipes that hit the, the cutting board? The cutting floor, I should say, not board. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, not, a, not in our experience. I think that um, when we mm. received the manuscript, it was it was already set. I think um, I think Mayetta really dictated what what she cooks at home. Um, mm-hmm. She's the recipes are very much how she cooks for her family specifically. Mm-hmm. She has three boys and a young daughter, Jana, um, and so she's very aware, like most mothers, of what the kids like. So she included things that she really loves, like for herself, the khabsa recipe, which is a chicken and rice recipe, is is very much her favorite thing. And then everything else in there is, I think, things that she cooks at home regularly. Yeah, I can probably speak to that a little bit more yeah. because um, you were there. I was there with Jen. So every Saturday we'd get together for a few months. And, um, and this is Dahlia who translated. Yes. <laughs> so I was there to help uh, translate for Mayeda and Jen. So, um, yeah, so Jen would come. We'd come in the, during the, in the morning usually and we'd have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or whatever you want. And we'd talk a little bit about her you know, to tell stories about her in Syria. That's how we compiled a lot of the, or that's how Jen compiled a lot of the stories on her background. And and from that kind of arose, well, what are we going to cook today? So <clears throat> Maya would pick about four or five recipes. She goes, I picked this recipe because of this, 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 and that. And she'd give reasons, and we'd all follow. We'd go to Sea town 
and get the ingredients and then come back and then we start cooking for hours and then a big feast at the very end. <laughs> We'd all sit around the table with uh, Mayette and her family and we'd have a tasting test. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds fun. It was great. <laughs> Mayetta, which are the recipes that feel the most special, that have the most uh, memories for you that are in the book? So Mayetta... Uh, any akalat bizzat liha zikrayat mumayaz andik? في مثلا الكبسي ومع الدجاج في الدجاج مع البطاطا بالفرن كمان. Okay, so kapsa with the chicken and uh, the chicken and potatoes or liba. يعني خاصين إنه كان مثلا في الكبي كمان المقلية مثلا كان كل ما نجتمع مع أهلي في سوريا كنا نعمل هدول الأكلات بالذات يعني. Right, and fried kibbe as well. And she said, usually those are the meals that she would cook um, whenever the family would get together in Syria. So mm-hmm. it's like um, she special thinks occasion. of her family. Correct. Right. Yeah. And then what what recipes, Mayara, would you suggest if someone has the book but they've never cooked Syrian food? Where where should they start? So, so Mayara, لو الواحد عنده كتاب وعمره ما طبخ أكل سوري قبل كده تقول لهم يبتدوا بأنهي وصفة. So so um Mayada suggests starting off with the easier recipes and uh, when I asked her which one she thinks is the easiest she says the kofta in the oven which is pretty simple it's like a beef and just put a lot of spices in and you pop them in the oven and you yeah. <laughs> it's really really delicious actually yeah <laughs> um so jose andres wrote the foreword of the cookbook and in it in the foreword he writes that food is the ultimate bridge and mayada i was wondering if you could Say if that's been true for you, and it and it resonates with your experience and coming to America and introducing people uh, to your family and to to your heritage through your food. Sorry, I know you'll have to simplify that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amayda, the question in the the What's his name again? Jose Andres. Jose Andres, chef. Andres yeah. chef. Yeah. Um, was the food was like the communication between people. So that was also a experience for you after you wrote the book. Do you know that ماشيين <تصفيق> So she said absolutely it would help to connect a lot with um, you know the people who have read the book and even with among her 
friends that she meets at the church and she goes I've actually had a lot of you know several people write in and tell me that they tried these recipes and that it was really really good so she was thrilled about that yeah um Liz Mira Dai I'd love to hear you kind of answer the same question like how working on this project has made you feel more connected to to Mayada or just to learning you know about a new kind of food different kinds of people you want to go first, Liz? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you wrote, you talked yeah. a little bit about how this just felt like this was something meaningful you could do. So maybe sort of elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it. it uh, I always think of the camera as like this passport or this like this like little magical uh, pass that gets me into all of these situations that I could have never imagined. And um, this was definitely one of the most like deeply heartfelt impactful like projects that I have ever worked on and yeah it's it's all it's all through the lens of like sharing meals with each other and I first met Mayada we were at one of the Rutgers church dinners and I don't know there's just something very magical about watching her command a kitchen and she's so out of her elements and at the same time so very comfortable and it's like Jen uh in one of the the recipe intros talks about how dicing and chopping and sautéing and frying it's like it's like this common language and it's like through the action that we all share the same thing all over the world and uh yeah it was really powerful <laughs> yeah i i had i guess everyone has their uh their magic wand for liz it's the camera and she's very disarming with it and she's petite but she, she smiles <laughs> and she like always gets a very um honest reaction from people and for me it's cooking and talking to people about food and, um, you know, everybody eats. So there's, uh, when I'm at a loss for connecting with someone, if I don't know, I can, I can ask them, you know, what did they eat that morning or what have they cooked recently and, and, and enter that way. So, um, for me, uh, just recently, actually just today, um, out in the New York Times is an article about Mayada and her first Thanksgiving and how Thanksgiving is for everybody. And I was lucky enough to to go and cook with her um, together while the photographer was there um, and just kind of assist um, and guide her through making pie, which is ironic because I didn't I didn't grow up in an American household and I've taught myself how to make pie. So I got to teach Mayada how to make pie um, and uh it was, it was in those several hours together that we had some conversations that we wouldn't have normally had the opportunity to have because she's a busy mom. She has four kids. You know, she's she's got her hands full. Um, but it was a chance to um, play with her daughter while we were cooking and um, and and chat. And you know, it's again, it's very disarming and very casual conversations can start so questions about my age came up and questions about the photographer's age came up and like it just feels all of a sudden like you've known each other for a while when you're talking about something to cook and if you can pick up on something flavors or whatever it is that uh that our heart you know attach the heartstrings you very quickly can 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 connect um even if language is a slight barrier but um, so that was really special for me to have that time with her. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to chime well, in? Well, for me, um, I also volunteered as a as a translator. But actually, I volunteered from the very beginning. So when Mayetta first came for, to the United States, I wasn't there at the airport, but I followed up and I, I helped them settle in in their new home. And you know, I did 
try to translate that. So it's really, I think the best part is just seeing the entire journey, like from from up, so up close. And um, I'm dumbfounded, you know. And they, when they and Dave said, you you want to help out with the cookbook? I said, of course. <laughs> I wouldn't miss it for the world. But yeah, so. Mayada is more than just, you know, the project. She's actually just, it was amazing just to embrace her when they came in, her and her family, and try to help as much as we can from the very beginning. And it's just amazing to see that this is the end product after just a very short period of time that she's already has, you know, with the work of everybody who's collaborating. I mean, it really is a work of love. I mean, I really do feel it, and it's blessed that way. There is a blessing in that book. And, and the book really wouldn't have happened yeah. without Dahlia's help. I no. mean, <laughs> we needed that translation, that bridge. And, and um, Mayada's English has grown leaps and bounds. It's an incredible um, to have been able to have conversations with you. But thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, you referenced the New York Times piece, which is out uh, today, um, which is such a beautifully written piece by Julia Moskin about immigrants and embracing the you know the American Thanksgiving and adopting new traditions so Mayada I wanted to ask um, I know you had a practice run for the article but are you are you going to be cooking for Thanksgiving next week uh, yes I will uh, cook uh, for Thanksgiving what are you what are you going to make uh, turkey <laughs> turkey <laughs> yeah uh, because Good. my uh, children like love it your children that? loved it. Your children loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Will you be making any of the American side dishes or more Syrian side dishes? So, uh, I'm going to tell you that the Turkey is not Turkey. It's so Syrian kapsa. Syrian, yeah. Syrian kapsa. It sounds good. I'll be coming over. Can I come to your Thanksgiving? Yeah. I wanna I wanna try your food. But I'll have to cook it from the book. Um, now that I have it. So, <laughs> um, Mayada, thank you so much for speaking to You're us welcome. today. And congratulations on your first cookbook. Uh, you so Probably thank not your you. last. <laughs> um, and Liz and Mira and Dahlia, thank you so much for joining us in studio. And everyone who's listening, I wanted to also mention that the Heritage Radio Network Gala is coming up on December 3rd. It is a it is. It was my one of my most favorite nights of the year last year. The first time we did it, um, it's just an amazing celebration. It's all different chefs, and you just walk around eating and drinking the entire night. Um, and you know what could be better than that? It's super festive, and you should go to heritageradionetwork.org and get tickets before they're sold out. Um, all the hosts will be there, and we will probably dress up. So. <laughs> You should come. Um, and there will be music and festivities and, like I said, delicious things to eat and drink. Um, so thanks, everyone, for listening. You can listen to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify and Stitcher, as well as always finding our archived shows on heritageradionetwork.org. We'll see you back next week, Wednesday at 6 p.m.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.